Welcome back to the Fangirl Forum. I'm your host, Meredith Loftus, a.k.a. your friendly neighborhood fangirl. Thank the Saints! The Shadow and Bone series has debuted on Netflix and has introduced the world to the Grishaverse. This new fantasy series features magic, excuse me, small science, Volcra, Ben Barnes, a war, a goat, and one Alina Starkov, a sun summoner destined to bring down the fold. There is so much that is packed into this short eight episode series that so far there hasn't been announced for season two, but with record-breaking numbers that Netflix has decided to release and being trending for the past two weeks, it is safe to say that we can expect to see more from the Grishaverse. And there's so much to talk about. And I have three wonderful, incredible guests, two of which are joining for the very first time. So please join me in welcoming first up we have Your Money Geeks, Maggie. Maggie, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Up next, give it up for Fangirlishes, Lizzie. Hello. Hey, everyone. It's good to be here. And last up, Marvelous Geeks and friend of the show, Gisani. What is up? Hi. Ladies, it is so wonderful having you here today to talk about this series. Thanks for having us. We have a lot to say. <laughs> so much. <laughs> I can't I cannot wait. And I think it's it's really important that the three of you are on here because it's because of the three of you hyping up this series on my Twitter feed that it left me no choice but to watch this. Mission accomplished. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> first weekend of it I was like I this has been on my timeline for so long they've been teasing this thing for a while like these are all like women I really respect who are just hyping this thing up I have to watch this without any prior knowledge of the Grishaverse I didn't even watch a trailer I was just like sure let's go for it I love that uh we all got screeners for it so we've been screaming at each other in our respective DMs for a long time um, since like so, mid-march right <laughs> and now you get to scream in public about it about how great Finally. this series is now for all of you did you read the books prior to receiving your screeners or did you go into this blind lizzie let's start off with you i read each and every one of the books well the last book hadn't come out when I got the screeners. So I read all the books till King of Scars, including the two like extra books that she wrote about the, because I, I am like, when I decide I'm going to do my research, I'm going to do it right. So I read all the books, the three Shadow and Bone, uh, Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom and King of Scars. And then I watched the series. And when Rule of Wolves came out, which is the last book, I read that and then I watched it again. Because I felt like I was going to have a different, there are some characters there that were going to hit me differently. And that's exactly what happened. So I did my research um, a little too well, because now I feel like I'm heading to the Grishaverse. And I'm like, but is she writing more books? Is season two coming? Um, is fan art, fanfic? What do I need? I love it. Maggie, what about you? So I went in completely blind. I will say that I was heavily influenced by Twitter discourse because it's like really hard to escape like 
pre like decided opinions about things. And I had seen like a lot of passages from the book. So I went in with kind of like very specific expectations. And then I was like, wait, I can just like enjoy this completely like cold, not letting all of these feelings like kind of come at me. And I ended up enjoying it way more than I expected. Like I was blown away by it based off of like what people had been saying about the books and stuff. So like my, my biggest recommendation to people was like, try to go in as blind as you can and just enjoy it for its own content. Cause it's so good. Gisani, <laughs> what about I, you? I hadn't read it until I got, I got the screeners. I watched it the first time. And then I was like, I need to read Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom. So I was screaming to Lizzie about that. And I immediately bought those books, devoured them, and then went and rewatched the series. And I'm just almost finishing up the first Shadow and Bone book because apparently I have to read it to know this Nikolai fellow. Sadly. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, I, I didn't know anything about it. So I was just, and I like that. I'm almost sad that now I'm going to know the books because I liked being like, what is this weird thing they're wearing and doing with their hands? Why do these people have this? Like, it almost made it funner. It really did. I felt like they explained so many of the details that I guess you would like know from reading the books that I didn't feel super confused. Yeah. Like they'd introduce something and then very quickly explain it in a not like, well, you should have read the book beforehand kind of way, which I enjoyed. I felt like they weren't like, there are some adaptations that you feel are talking down to the mm-hmm. person who's not read the book and I didn't feel like this was at all mm-hmm. like that even though there are there are things that I could be like oh, okay this is a nod to someone who already knows what's going to happen it didn't feel like it was a nod just to those people and I also like even after coming into this having read the books the six of crows story is completely different so that added something for me because uh, throughout the whole thing, I was like, but what is going to happen to my favorite characters? Uh, like, I already know what happens to Alina. But I also, as much as I really did enjoy Alina in the show, don't care about Alina as much as these other three. So no. what is happening to the people I care about? That was like the funniest thing. Cause like I went in so expecting to care about like Alina and all the people from like the shadow and bone books. And then I was like, can I skip these scenes? I want to get back to the crows. What are the crows doing? I only care about the crows. You messaged me really early and said something about Ben Barnes. And I was like, oh, sweet summer child. Just we you all wait. did. I feel like it was very easy at first to be like, oh, Ben Barnes, what's up with this? And then after episode five, I was like, meh. After the second time I was done, I was like, no, no. Give me the crows. (laughs) All right. Okay. So as somebody who did not know what to expect and not read the books, like Ben Barnes was definitely appealing for me coming in to be like, oh, I know Ben Barnes. He's great. But I could see him being a a villain from like a mile away. It was not difficult to piece together oh yeah, he's got ulterior motives. Of course, I don't trust you. I found myself in episode three being like, ooh, you're you're attractive, but like, I don't trust you. I know like something's up, something is sus about you. And I mean, episode five rolled around. I was like, right, I called it. No big surprise here. So uh, Darkling is great, but also like- If he had just been honest from the front, so many things would have worked out for him. <laughs> he's a good villain, though. He's like, that's what I villain. like. He's, I don't want him redeemed because he's a good villain. Yeah. And I'm like, I know that Ben Barnes is like insisting on humanizing him. And I'm like, fine, I'll believe you, but go just 
go crazy. I mean, he he wanted to redeem Jigsaw too in The Punisher. Yes. I think that's the sign of a good actor who can play a villain is he can see the other side of it, mm-hmm. but it never gets there. Um, I mean, there's a reason that has to do with a storyline that's coming in the books you people haven't read that I don't want to spoil where he's trying to humanize him. But I think one of the things that makes the character really work is that he, in my opinion, and I, I know that there are people who might disagree, never gets a straight up redemption anything in any part. And that is one of the things I like the most about him. And I have seen Ben try to humanize him, but I have also seen him be like, okay, these are maybe the motives, these are maybe the reasons, maybe the comparison to Killmonger. But then he's also like, but yeah, he bad. And Alina should be with Mao. And yes. that's it. And then he's been very clear about that, which I appreciate because at the end of the day, I mean, if he were Ben Barnes coming at me, different thing. But he, if he's the dark one. And also he was dressing up like my mother called me. And I hope she's not listening to this after she watched. And she was like, uh, you told me he was a bad guy. So you ruined the thing for me. Because oh. she was super mad because I, I, I think I offhandedly mentioned it before she watched. Uh, and I said, but look, it's Ben Barnes and he's dressed in a black, like, what did you expect here? I thought it was obvious. He's the only one wearing black. And then they make a point about black is his color. I'm like, you're really spelling this out for us. This black isn't heretic. really hard. Yeah. Oh, wait, I do this every time. I apologize to my listeners, but spoilers, 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 spoilers. Oh my gosh, spoilers. There may be spoilers for the book in this. Definitely spoilers for season one of Shadow and Bone. Spoilers, spoilers. Go watch it if you haven't, and then come back and listen to this. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. (laughs) Okay, I feel like I'm covered now. Back to Ben Barnes being the dark link. I do love that at the end of the season that we are now... uh, two times that Ben Barnes has played a villain and has come out at the end of the season with a new face scar. Like, let this continue to be a trope. I'm here for it. Ben Barnes is great. And I do love that he has fun in interviews and he is, you know, trying to like humanize and like, you know, give perspective because he is such a fun guy and, you know, trying to like sell this character I essentially for people reading interviews or watching interviews and stuff but homeboy is bad it's okay still love you but also stay away from Alina you put antlers into her collarbone no bueno I was not a fan of that at all <laughs> it looked like that because I read the books but I just never imagined it like that so when I first saw it it was super shocking I was like, this is horrible. And then I don't know why I keep th- I keep thinking it's just going to cash on everything. Like how she, does she put on clothes on top of it? I was like, that's just going to be super uncomfortable. Is it painful? I have so many questions. Because when I was watching it, I was like, I don't see how she put that dress on. Like, I don't, I, there's no way Whoa. she put that on. I was like, that was like the one thing, like, because I work in film that like slightly took me out for a second. Cause I was like, oh, she totally had that put on after like part of that was put on. And then like that dress, like goes on in two pieces to like avoid it and stuff. But I was like, yikes, that looks like that hurts a lot. Just looks gross too. And poor David, like that guy's just stuck in the most uncomfortable situations ever. I mean, part of me is like, poor David, but also, I mean, I, I guess he made his choice. I guess he didn't really have a choice in the, in the matter. 
It's not like he could have been like, no, Darkling, I am not going to do no, what I'm you want. Especially considering the type of character he's presented as being. It's not exactly something. But it is a fun thing that the decision he makes to do that is something that stays with the character going forward. Uh, and that sort of shapes the character, um, which is sort of a book spoiler, but I feel like it's more a tease to tell you that it sort of shapes the character going forward to be like, hey, I did this. And maybe it wasn't what I wanted to do, or maybe I didn't think of it, or maybe I didn't question it, but I did this. So now I'm just going to be here doing my penance or something, like trying to do good shit to sort of make up for it in a, in a way. Yeah. One of my favorite things about David was his awkward, just like, yep. Yeah. And then Darkling's like, you you don't have to do that. And I felt, I felt that so acutely. I was like, ah, just the oh it's okay like play up for awkward like that was a bit of levity that I needed I guess and I'm happy that like Netflix gave breathing room for kind of like those small character like quirk moments Mm -hmm. and they Uh, did it so well like so many of the characters got to have their like awkward because they're young I mean, all of these, I know they aged them up some from what they are in the books, but they're still like young and going through like a tremendously awkward, weird, difficult, stressful situation. Yeah, like they're all at war and they're young and they are making huge life altering like adult decisions and they're like, like every decision they make has like ramifications for it's, it's a weird time. And you are, you know, coming up into adulthood, I guess. It's just a lot. But that's what fantasy shows typically do, right? They kind of like throw typically younger characters into very fantastical, large situations. They don't feel as young, though. Like, I will say that much. I want to hope that they're at least 18 in the show because no age is really mentioned, like 20 at least very uncomfortable much older please i mean they're supposed to be 17 in the book because because young adult you have to stay sort of within the confines of what the age range of the books but yeah they don't mention an age so i can i just like hope especially like just for a cast and an edge going through what they went through can just 20 at least please yeah Yeah, like, and they also don't look was... it. It doesn't help that they're casting actors who do not look younger. No. No. I, I was telling somebody about the Inez backstory since it's not really like fully spelled out in the series. Like it's there, but it's like if you really dig into that character, then you learn more about like what she's been through. And like they say, like you think she was 14 when she was taken, which is like a whole level of like... Mm. <sighs> uncomfy oh my heart I can't a poor baby don't worry guys we are going to give special attention to um Inej and Kaz our sweet summer children but I did want to ask y'all like your overall thoughts of season one like what were some highlights for you that really worked and what were some things that didn't work well for you the, the second part of the answer seems harder because I think the the entire thing worked really well I think one of the few things I pointed out when I was writing reviews is that, for example, from the end of five, when Alina 
escapes with the crows. In the beginning of six, she has to get away from them very quickly for the storyline to sort of go back to what it was in the book. So when she didn't leave with Mal, I was like, why is she even leaving with the crows? Like it, it sets up a little confrontation, but uh, maybe because I, 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 I was coming up at it from the books, I was like, this is going to last five seconds. And Inesh is going to let her go because that's what they've been setting up. And that's exactly what happened. And I do understand that they had no way to sort of go back to the storyline and they wanted to bring them together. But it sort of felt a little like too easy. Like, what did she even do? Just throw a little light and cast and Jesper were like for five minutes, they couldn't move. I, I never understood what they were trying to tell us happened. Inesh let them go. Yes. But what exactly did she do that? made Cass and Jesper just like freeze for like I don't know it, it felt like it, they solved it too easily because they needed to for plot reasons but even those things are the kind of things that in a show where nothing works you just point them out and you're like look 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 and in a show where everything else works you're like okay fine I'll give you that one like I'll forget about it and I think in general so many of the character moments work Especially, like, I think we, we're, we're all in agreement here. The crows were probably the best part. And so many of our moments work because there were moments that were drawing from what the characters were in the, in the books, but were not the moments from the books. So, for example, like, I know we're going to go into this, but, like, every cast and an edge moment worked for me perfectly. But every moment with Jesper worked for me perfectly. I think they, they were the standout in general. Just starting the, the show with that, has an edge scene where she's like, yeah, no, she's not like you, no one is. And I was like, but you're coming from my heart in like the first instant cast, like rein it in, dude, like give me a, a little time to breathe. Then the intro with Jasper too. And I, I think for the other characters, I will say the last two episodes, like the confrontation between Alina and the Darkling in episode seven at the end, when he's like, make me a villain. And she was like, we could have been equal, but, and she's basically like, I didn't make you a villain. You yourself made you made yourself the villain. I think that was really powerful. And probably the first moment where I felt the same level of emotion for Alina that I felt for the crows during the entirety of the show. I was like, girl, yes, tell him, tell him. And, and Ben Barnes is also really good in that because there, there's a level of, yes, I did it. And so what? To his performance, that's super powerful because he feels like he's in the right. Because like, I'm not going to apologize to you. If you don't understand me, that's your problem. I got, I, and like he tells Mal, like, I can wait for you to understand me. You're going to be alone and need me in like 50 years or so. That scene between the two of them oh, was as villainous as it got. Like, yes, it was bad enough that he found information about Alina's favorite flower. But that scene was as cold as it gets. Like, I don't need to do anything. I have time on my side time is against you and that was that was a great villain moment but also i was just like are you guys 12 what is this conversation right now you're literally <laughs> telling him you're gonna die one day that's she, she's gonna, gonna, gonna get to girl be, be the only immortal i, I love you. that scene so much i literally laughed yeah, right? it, it was just so i was like this is such fantastic dialogue <laughs> The level of petty that the Darkling is. It's like, we're not backing down from this, apparently. But also, it's so interesting because I feel like this is where he kind of like, there's points where I'm like, but you're really delusional. Like, you really believe so much that's coming out of your mouth that he believes himself when he says things like, 
you know, I would have never hurt you. I would have never done. And I'm like, okay, you're, you're really pushing this. You really believe this, don't you? And you're like, nope, you're just so far gone. You're fighting with an 18 year old. You're arguing with an 18 year old. And and also, wait, I didn't mention Milo the goat. I'm sorry, but I have to bring up Milo the goat because Milo the goat, who saved everyone. Milo is a real MVP. He, he saved Mal, hero. right? He saved Jesper, and then he saved Mal. And then, so, like, he was in both storylines, and he was the reason everything worked. And also, I just need an emotional support goat there. Like, Jesper, Jesper really missed him. He brought him up more than anything. Like... <laughs> Last episode, it's like, oh, Milo. And then Inej was like, who's Milo? And he was so offended. Like, how do you, how did you forget Milo? Milo changed my life. They went through a traumatic experience together that bonds people for life. So uh, I personally am not a fan of goats. I had a traumatic experience as a child with a goat, but I will not take away the fact that, like, without Milo, all of those people would have died. So Milo is truly the MVP. He's the goat. He is the actual goat. Like the show really brought in a goat. And I love how the cast had no idea what the goat was for until they read it. And they're like, oh, it's literally an emotional support goat. That's this is an actual thing that was written. I I don't know at what point, but there were points where the goat wasn't even there in the scene. Because when I interviewed them, kid brought up that some directions that he was getting and he's like, yeah. Um, you just stand here and things are blowing up and you have a goat. And he's like, I have a what? And I was like, wait, are you telling me that at some point you didn't have a goat and you had to pretend you had a goat? And he was like, yes. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. And then I don't have the video of that. So at some point there was no goat. So I've just tried to, I like literally have tried to rewatch and try to look for any tell that they are pretending there's a goat and there's no goat, but I can't find it. So this is what I do when I have free time. I go back and try to look for a scene with no goat where they're pretending there's a goat. I just hope it's a Freddy scene, like Cass carrying the goat. I just, I would pay good money for that to be the scene where there was no goat. I'm going to need the bloopers. Blooper reel, uh, also impressive. They, that means like there was like a CGI goat or like a really good like dummy goat that they just like had as a prop, like kudos, I guess. So many questions. Yeah, that raises a lot more questions than answers. (laughs) I gotta say for me, one of the things that I really enjoyed the series as a whole, I think so much of it worked that when I initially put in the question of like what didn't work, it was really hard for me to like pick something in particular. But I think the one thing that I think as somebody who hasn't read the book, something that kind of confused me a little bit was just like the world and the politics of Ravka and the Grishaverse. Mm-hmm. I had to eventually like find a map to be like, okay, they're saying all of these places, where are they geographically? Like, how does this make sense in this fantasy world? Because I mean, because of Game of Thrones, like I've really cared about like maps and like, how do people interact with each other? And there's clearly a lot happening. So That was kind of a knock for me, but also a knock because I haven't read the books. I haven't done as much due diligence to be like, okay, what's going on here? But the books are, or at least the Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom have been shipped. They should be here this weekend. So I will be reading those soon. So I will no longer just be a non-book reader, but... 
that was something that I felt like was a little lacking, but also it's fantasy and like, they're not always going to like spell out what's happening, I guess, but Mm -hmm. otherwise it's fine. It was great. So I think like one of the things that was like the only thing that I think I had an actual like complaint about was like their choice of like using racism with the whole Mm. shoe thing that like that didn't read super well for me. And I think it was because I I started watching it like the day after the shooting in Atlanta. And so like, I was like hyper aware of like how that was reading. And I was like, I feel like some people watch fantasy to like escape like real world racism. And so like that, that felt odd for me watching it. And I've seen a lot of really great articles discussing that, which I've shared on Twitter, but that was like the one, my only complaint was I think the entire show. I think the idea Mm -hmm. uh, was to tie up a storyline that they wanted to, I don't know what the plan is because I, I saw the Lee Bardugo say some somewhere that the Netflix didn't have the rights for the last, uh, the Nikolai wallet. So I was like, then why are you bringing up this, what you're talking about, the racism plot line and mm-hmm. something that could tie up because they don't really touch that till the last two books, which are a little more political and do go into Shuhan and like sort of, so I was, I, when I watched it, I thought, oh, this is just a really bad way of setting up something that's going to happen in five seasons. That was my thing. And then I heard her say they didn't have the rights to that. And then I was like, but why are you doing this then? I mean, I assume it's, it's part of like wishful thinking or like them thinking if this does well, I'll go back to her and secure the rights for the last two books. Uh, no problem. Like I'm not, I do not believe she would say no if, if the series does well. But to me, it felt like the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, so this is set up a little clunky setup, but set up for something you're going to touch later. But it, like Maggie was saying, they did it so much. And then they sort of never explained it, that even a setup, it just didn't work. Um, and I know they had an Asian writer that specifically wrote like episode three. And then she talked about, I read uh, an interview with her when she was talking about the scene with the queen and, and all of that and how that was a personal experience of her. And um, I want to respect that. But there are a lot of people on Twitter. I've seen a lot, of, like Maggie said, and she's shared a couple of good articles that I've reshared because we're like a circle loop around here. Um, <laughs> but I think they, they would do well to listen to the voices saying, look, the way you're approaching this is not good. And even if it was set up, sort of drop it. Because even if it, they were trying to set up something, they don't need to do all of that because it didn't mm-hmm. pay off. And, and it's not going to pay off till when? Till season five, if you get it? Yeah, it felt like excessive, especially like after she escaped. I think there was a scene of her like in the street or something and somebody like made another derogatory remark to her and it felt very like, okay, I feel as though this was a little unnecessary. You already did a lot of that at the palace with like, don't change my eyes, the queen, like that was a lot in and of itself. But like, yeah, it felt like at that point, and especially since what's been going on in the country in the past like couple months or even this past year with uh, the rise in attacks against Asian Americans, it just felt a little too close to home there. And even like we mentioned, you know, Ben Barnes and the Punisher, I remember like the Punisher held off a week from its initial 
season one release because there was like this terrible shooting, you know. It was and Las Vegas, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Las uh, Vegas. Yeah. It was. So for them to uh, have that, it was just like, mm, maybe not the best time for this. But I do hope like, as you're saying, Lizzie, like if this is part of like a storyline for like later on that this does eventually kind of like get resolved or at least we get more details into like what is the relationship to like Shuhan and Ravka and all of that kind of stuff. I kind of think it would have been better if instead of painting it as just racism, they would have explained it as part of a war thing. Like these Mm -hmm. are the enemies. They're part like we hate them because we're at war with them. Not because they're coded as Asian. I think that would have been much better. That I think they sort of stayed in the middle, couldn't decide, wanted to bring in a little racism. And I mean, I, I do understand there are other ra- things that are raci- racially coded, like Soya calling Alina half-breed. They have a, a other moments that play into it. And the Soya thing is specifically worrisome considering her background in the, in the books, which I assume will come into play because she's one of the main characters in the Nikolai duology. So it's just they threw things in there and if like a book reader felt, well, maybe you're trying to set up something, but it is a little clunky. Please do not do it like this. Because it's also very overtly racist. Like people are not like that in real life. So if they're trying to set up something to be reflective of the real world, people are not always that blunt about it. And it's like, you did it once, you continue to do it, And just so obviously that it didn't feel like it was part of the universe in the way that like Harry Potter's does, for example, when there's a constant conversation of like mudbloods and purebloods and, you know, all of these things where, you know, that's part of the universe. This felt like they were trying to get something across, but they were trying a little too hard. So hopefully it does fix itself with further storylines. Agreed. So are y'all ready to talk about Kanesh? Yes. Are you ready for us to talk about yes. it? Yes. My so emotional ready. support children. As we have mentioned, some of our favorite characters, and honestly, I would agree. I haven't said this yet, but I agree. I think the Crow storyline is the strongest thing to come out of Shadow and Bone. And all of like the fantasy elements of like the stag and magic and all of this stuff like it was these three characters and their mission that had me hooked on like what was going on with them and wanting to see them succeed but in particular it was Kaz Brecker and Inej Gaffa that has stolen our hearts and I just want to take the time to just fangirl over them. Like, why do we love them so much? Why do we ship them? Why do they stand out? Uh, I love the trope of touch aversion so much, so much. As soon as I realized that was the trope, I was like, oh, this is my ship right here. That goes from my childhood love of Gambit and Rogue. Like up here. This is where I exist since I was a kid. And Gambit and Rogue make me this way. So that, that was also me. Like, at reading the books, going into this, I had a hard time. I'm going to be honest, with the first three, with the Shadow of Moon books. Like, that was the, the point where my research felt like work. I was like, okay, I'm going to finish these books because I said I would. And then I picked up Six of Crows, and then it starts the first, the second chapter is in Edge. And then we go into cast, and he's like, I'm going to be a bad guy, but in Edge, in Edge, in Edge, in Edge. And I was like... I like this. I like this. 
and then when I, I fell into the trope, I was like, okay, this is it. I'm not leaving this ship. And then he's got like, legitimately, like, I, I really recommend the book because people are like, Cass in the show was very soft. I was like, have you read the books? And, and like, I, I see, I see the reaction is because we have talked like legitimately, I, I'm rereading Six of Crows. My friend Lyra wanted to, and she's like, well, reread it with me perfectly fine and then it's like he is walking down an alley and then bad guys are trying to kill him and he's like i remember when Inej told me about so and so and i was like you are so obvious and and it is my favorite the tasha version yes but my favorite trope is when you have this character who's emotionally constipated and then everyone around him knows that he would kill for this girl except the girl and then you can see it in every moment of Jasper too in the in the book in particular and I think in the show too and Jasper is looking at them like I see it do you see a cast and Cass does not see it and Inesh does not see it either and it is my favorite thing I was like yes I will take all the moments thank you I love it so much as soon as he like first appeared on the screen I was like nobody told me about this character who is this broody boy with a cane I love this already so here for it <laughs> he has such a good entrance and and the theme that's playing like the beginning yes. of the royal archives heist that's playing while he comes in it's just like oh hello who are you and then their first meeting i was just like oh he's looking for someone who's he looking for who who's gonna come through the window and she just i don't even know how she comes in like jesper doesn't even know but it's just i also just love like the tough guy being soft for one person which Again, my villain origin story, people saying that he's too soft in the show. When I'm just like, did you read the books? The man just says the weirdest romantic shit for this woman. And five minutes later, he's like gouging out someone's eye. I Soft. He is very soft for her. We love the duality of Kaz. Right? He has range. But also, I mean, like I will admit that like even as coming from from the books, I I started I played the show and I thought, well, I'm still gonna find Ben Barnes the most attractive. Like Freddie Carter isn't even attractive. I mean, it's not that he's not attractive. He's not like my type uh, in general. Like I interviewed him and he was cute. I don't know what to say. But when he puts on the the when he grabs the cane and he's cast, I was like, how do I find this man? So like he's got a horrible haircut. Like, I don't even know why he is so attractive. I've had issues trying to process. And I mean, it's not that I don't find Freddie attractive. It's, it's probably a lie. If I didn't find Freddie attractive. Like, you're lying right now. I am <laughs> right. lying to But I watched, the thing is, I just watched Freddie in that horse show. And he's wearing many colors and he's smiling. And that just takes me out of it. Don't watch. I don't remember the name of the show, but don't called watch. Free Rain. I right. took one for the team and I've watched six episodes. <laughs> I watched three and I was like, that's all I can take for the team. That's it. Bye. No, He's but smiling. There's literally this meme that says, like, I used to say Freddie Carter and like the two the the stars, the emo the star emoji, we all know them, the three, whatever they're called, as a joke. And then it's like dot dot dot. It's not a joke anymore. And I just <laughs> The man has become a problem in my life, and I don't know how it happened. I did not need another white man to love this way, to have this much power over me, and I'm really upset about it. <laughs> Do 
where we all just yeah. process we, it. We all, we, we, all, we all just like needed a second. We're just like, take that in. Freddie Carter, attractive guy. I don't think you're unattractive by any means, but I do think there is something, you know, picking up that cane and the like cheekbones. the cheekbones. Oh. And he's got that like smirk going on that I'm like, ooh. You know, a lot of people have made fan edits of the men of Shadow and Bone to Bad Guy, but I really do think that it hits the best for Kaz and for the Darkling too, Ben Barnes, because I've seen a really good one of him and I'm like, yeah, like the the duh part. I'm like, yeah, duh. Duh. So I, I also think Freddie had the hardest job, like maybe the crows in general, but Freddie, I think, had the hardest job in that he's got to transmit this level of emotion, but he can't touch any. So for me to be like, there are the scenes where, uh, the scene where Inesh kills the Inferni twin, and then the, the scene where she's hurt. The level of emotion that he's transmitting, absolutely nothing known. He's not even close because he, he can't get close. It's like, I'm like, I, I could feel it, and I, I, I felt it so much that I, I interviewed Freddie. I asked him, like, were you trying to make it seem like you were dying to reach out to her, but you couldn't? And he was like, we rehearsed this a uh, bunch to just make it seem like, and I could li- literally what they rehearsed, I think, came through. Like, it felt to me like he was desperate to reach out, but couldn't. And I, so I think in in general, Freddie had the hardest job. It's I'm not saying playing the villain with nuance is easier, but when you turn the villain to full villain, that's just, I mean, it's fun. The same note. And it's very um, too. Right. But Cass had to be somehow the smartest, uh, the meanest, and also the softest. Every time he looked at an edge and I was like, how do they do it? Because the, the chemistry also works really well for two people who are not touching each other and are barely like, I, I, I think I tweeted as a joke. It's like Mal and Alina looking into each other's eyes. I'm like, okay. Then Cass and Inesh standing from feet apart. And I'm like, oh. The heat. Like, oh. like, like sexual tension. It's like, I love to to look for things. And I, I hate it when a show makes stuff obvious for me. So with them, and every time they look at each other, I'm just like, they're speaking. What are they saying? And I'll just like pause the frame and stare at them just talking to each other with no words, completely with eye contact. And they'll just breathe in the same vicinity, the way that they both move their heads in perfect symmetry. I I cannot function. Like in every episode, if you look and you pay attention, their heads move the same way. It's just- They're so in sync. (laughs) It's literally hot in here. I can't handle it. too much and so give me the couple that I have to like look at and be like oh my god I want to get inside both of your brains right now like what is happening and they're making me work for it instead of telling me what's happening like which is one of the problems with this show that kept trying to tell me who's supposed to be with who whereas with them I was like they're showing me everything and it, this is TV. This is a visual medium. Like, please, like, show us. Don't tell us. Don't try and, like, force feed. Okay, this is going to happen or this is what we're setting up. But when it, when things can be communicated without saying a word, like, I feel like that has more weight and meaning. And 
I mean, that was one of the big things that drew me to Kaz and Inej because y'all were talking about them so much. And at the beginning, I'm like, do they do they even like like each other that much? Like I'm like looking and searching. And then I'm also like, oh, but I'm looking intently and I'm noticing and I'm picking up patterns and I'm seeing how much like Kaz cares for Inej and would literally do anything for her. Like even before you know, the last episode when he like fights a Volcro with his cane, like to protect her, which amazing. I'm like, of course he would do that. But, you know, we see the level at which like he would go to the ends of the world and back for her. And like, that's the stuff that like gets me jazzed as like a fangirl to be like, oh, give me this. It's like the things left unsaid or like whatever is being communicated between the two of you that I'm like, oof, I, I need it. Give it to me. How many ways can you say I love you without actually using those words? It's I need you. Jam. It's always my jam. So I need you. No saint ever watched over me. Not, and it's just that scene that did it for me. After I finished that, I was like, I have to talk about this show every episode. It was everything. We're all taking a moment. Yeah, we need a second. Like that, okay, so the campfire scene is my personal favorite scene between the two of them. Everything up until that point was good. And even like I'd argue when Inez is giving her knives over to Kaz before she does like the acrobat routine or whatever, like that was pretty like that was truly something but like that campfire scene just said like everything I've been wanting them to say basically to each other this whole time of just having this like moment of vulnerability and more intimacy than we saw between like Alina and Kirigan or Alina and Mal like that was like the stuff of they get it. They know each other and they're the only people in the world who know each other that much. They've been hurt by the world. They've been armored up for battle for years, but they let a few people in and the skeptic and the believer believe in each other. And I love it. I love it. I love it so much. And like the build up to that scene where like Kaz thinks he, she's going to leave and like he doesn't like he doesn't know how to process it or like and he doesn't like want to like ask her to stay or like to say any of these things and there's so much of that on his face and like in his body language he's so tense anytime that like is referenced or brought up or there's like a mention of it even a whisper of her leaving and it's like the restraint and like the yearning and they're like you know he just wants to reach out and like be like don't go <laughs> The way he grips his cane in that scene, like after he confesses her, just sets (gasps) me off because it's just, it's significantly different than when he's just holding on to his cane just because. But in that scene, the way he grips it and looks down, I physically cannot cope with that. And how he starts the whole thing with like, he has no idea what to say. So he's like, I'm just going to tell her Alina is real. Like, I have no idea what to say here, but maybe if I say what she wants to hear, she'll stay. And then when she turns around, he's like, Because when she, I, one thing I do appreciate about Inesh is that she never like lets him off the hook. No. So she's always asking him point blank, Cast, so and so, this is what I need. Are you gonna like give it to me? And most often he doesn't. 
or at least not in the way she would probably want him to. Mm-hmm. But he always sort of ends up saying something that she didn't expect. But in this scene, it almost felt like he wasn't going. To. Like he was all like, what else is there? And she turns around and he waits like eight seconds. Like, I've, it's not that I've counted them, but he waits. <laughs> like eight. It's okay. <laughs> you can admit that you waited or like you counted like, it. Like how long? I ca- okay. I counted it a few times. And then like, I'm like the, the tension in those seconds as he's waiting. And then he's like, like, I could almost see the gears turning in his head. He's like, what do I say? So she turns around. So he's like, yes, I'm just going to bring up Alina. He's like, Cass, why? Just tell her the thing. Like, right away. Like, use your words. And I also really love the crow's quote that he uses, which is a quote from the book. And then they've used a couple of book quotes. Not the most important ones, I think, but uh, a few ones that I think fans would recognize and sort of send the message. But then no saying ever watch over me, not like you have. That's a, that's a brilliant thing the show came up with. And it was so perfectly encapsulated what they are to each other. And yeah, I'm just, I, I, I don't even like I've gone. I'm a writer, I, right? I, I have words. I, it's, it's unholy how many times I rewatched that scene. It's ridiculous. Just constantly replaying it. And every time they would zoom in on like their faces and they were constantly talking to each other during that scene. Like, I'm sorry, but keep your desk make out. This is the most intimate scene on this show. Like they're not even touching. And yet I feel everything that they are feeling. It's no words. Like I, if they did this and they made me feel this much, I cannot process what they are going to do when my favorite quote is actually ever said one day they're gonna touch hands and we're gonna oh my gosh i haven't even thought of that oh my gosh they're gonna like touch like this pinky to pinky oh my gosh the world ended i'm dead bye they're gonna brush each other and it's just they're gonna have to like sit really they're gonna have to like sit really close in like a a carriage or something uh oh are you going to read the books, Maggie? I don't know. So I get a lot of arcs and like I have a stack that's like staring me down right now of books I need to read that I have not had any time to like pleasure read. But I want to. You should. I read fanfic. I read fanfic <laughs> at that at people have written about the book. So I feel like I get a little bit of like the book verse okay. through fanfic because I can, I can do that at night. Fanfic is like the nice like is that nice gateway to be like, I can have more of this without like getting too much into the weeds mm-hmm. either. I, but I'm also really looking forward to reading. I really want to read them. I have the first Shadow and Bone on my Kindle, but I just like, I read like three pages and then like I got two more books from Disney and I was like, okay, this is a threat now. I get it. I have to finish my other arcs. I, I, I really would recommend you, like if you- if anyone who's listening like if you want to get really into it read six of crows and then crooked kingdom the the only problem is that i feel the last book king of scars and rule of wolves are really good because a character that has not been introduced to nikolai probably the third best character in the three shows oh as wow. inesh and then nikolai might be fighting with just it's he's a really good character but you cannot understand his backstory if you don't suffer through Shadow and Bone book two and Shadow and Bone book three. So I always tell people that like, I'm sorry, but you might just have to go back. 
And then the thing about, for, for fans of the crows, the thing about the last two books, King of Scars and Rule of Wolves, is that the crows show up. They're not main characters, but they do show up. And uh, Cass, Brecker, and Nikolai are BFFs. Like, I, they, they try to deny it, but they're BFFs. They send letters to each other. Uh, this is my, like, no, this is not even, like, my headcanon. Like, it is. It has been established in the book that they have a correspondence. I just, I think they are like the correspondence is like, you're my best friend, but don't tell anyone because. So which books have my other two favorite characters in it? Nina and Matthias. Cause I love them. The crows. No, six, yes. Okay. So six are, crows. Okay. That's what you have to read that they are part of the crows. Like you met five of the crows. The only one you didn't meet was, well, the, yeah. Who ends up being Jesper's love interest. You haven't met him. I presume he's round in the continuity of season one because Cass has that bomb that, I mean, Cass doesn't do bombs when he has the face up with the, the darkling. Another he, great scene. And he came prepared. And when he throws like a, um, a little flash bomb, I'm like, so who gave you that? Your explosives guy? Or was it the guy that the conductor? I don't, I, I, I feel like it's a very easy setup because the, the, the person they haven't introduced is the explosive guy. in the. Oh, okay. At the beginning, like I think in episode one or two, Jasper asked for an explosive guy. And Cass is all like, we don't need one now. Like, shut up, Jasper. But it makes sense considering the continuity of the book that he already has violence, like waiting somewhere. Just wouldn't take him on this job and that he asked for like this, it, it makes sense if they're trying to tie it all together. And just it, as a fan, that's what I'm going to believe that happened. So I want. So yeah, basically read Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom. It's, it's good. Like, it's genuinely so good. Because I'm reading Shadow and Bone right now and I hate everybody. I yes. do not like any of these characters. So that's another thing that I'm glad I love them on the show. I appreciate them. But, but you, in the books, I'm You're bored. probably enjoying it more after the show uh, that you would have. The problem I feel with Shadow and Bone, the books, is that it's all from Alina's point of view. And doesn't work as well because you see Mal at the beginning and then you don't see him for a long time when he's... And then when he comes back, you're like, oh, I'd forgotten about you. You again. Do I care? Am I supposed to? So the, the whole love triangle thing, quote unquote, on Shadow and Bone read to me as, okay, bad guy, boring guy. So I don't care. And then I was like, I guess boring is better than bad, but not even by that much. Like, I, it's just, I legitimately was like, I don't care. And the, the only thing that makes book two and three better is there are other characters that come up, like Nicola, and become more interesting, but also characters that you've already seen, like Kenya and Soya, who get a bigger role and become interesting characters. So by book three, I was just like, okay, I care about everyone. Oh, you're there, Alina. Fine, I guess. And the show is super, like, when I watched episode two or three, what was it, the one with, no, four, the one with Mal's letter to her, oh, uh, yeah. where he was like, you're my true north. I was like, let me pause this, because I had a feeling about Mal, and I think I'm sick. Like, I don't know what happened. Like, I had a little feeling about Mal, which, I mean, he's not my favorite, but I don't, I I mean, I, I still would fast forward watch the crows more but like i it, it it wasn't horrible like i expected it to be i expected it to be like a real short i oh, expected to hate Mel. yeah I, I saw a bunch of people like 
book wise, like the adaptation of him is so much better on the show. And like, for me, I was always rooting for Alina and Mal. Like I saw the Darkling. I'm like, yeah, you're going to try stuff. But like, I could tell Mal really cared for her, but apparently in the books, like that's not communicated well. Right. Because it's just her point of view. So you're suffering with her and you're like, she thinks he doesn't care. And you're like, okay, he doesn't care. And when he comes back, I swear to God, it's like 50 pages till the the end. And you're like, oh, you again? Now you care? And then you never get out of her point of view. I think the, even in books two and three. So I think what the show did really well was just give Mal a point of view. And that was all he needed to be a better character. I also think Archie brings a lot of charisma. How could you hate uh, Archie? Yeah. That was like what I kept telling everybody, like, you can't hate him. Like, you literally cannot hate this Mal. Yeah. He's, um, he's so sweet. He, yeah, so th- that helps. It's just still not our favorite trope, but but it's not a horrible trope. Uh, like whoever loves friends to lovers will probably enjoy it a lot. Childhood best friends to lovers, though, it's very uh, specific, and that's yeah. what I don't like about it. It's so I don't like it either. <laughs> it's so boring. Right. It's so... not friends to lovers. I like friends to lovers. I like friends to lovers too. Yeah. Same. But childhood best friends. I'm just like y'all no it's one of the reasons that like not to like talk about other like fandoms but it was like one of the reasons there's shifts from harry potter that i could never get into because i'm not a childhood best friends to lovers person i just like it doesn't jive with me i don't like any of the people i was friends with as a child (laughs) not even my crushes i I I, ignore their friend request on facebook (laughs) (laughs) i grew up with harry potter like very deep in the fandom that was my first fandom me too everyone everyone was like run or hermione and i was like but you know what What's more interesting, Harry and Ginny, you know why? Because they weren't friends. So it's like, I, and I understand the people that like the, the trope, like Ron and Hermione. I don't dislike them. But I never, like, have never in my entire life read a Ron and Hermione fic unless it was about someone else and they were there in the background. And that is always my, my you can tell what I really like when I go look for fic. So yep. since I have never gone looking for Ron and Hermione fic that just tells you everything. I gotta say, like, growing up, I was definitely a Harry Hermione shipper, so when the Ron Hermione stuff happened, I was a little thrown off, but I eventually, like, got on board with it, but it wasn't some, and I mean, I did watch fan videos right around when Deathly Hallows, the movies came out, because I was, like, all in that, but yeah, Harry and Hermione was way more interesting to me at that point. Because Hermione is a better character. Yes. I mean, yeah, she's the best character in Harry Potter. 100%. So So, that was a tangent. Yeah, that was a tangent, but you also brought up something that like, you know, ties into, you know, we haven't heard that there's going to be a season two yet, but I have a, I have a really hard time believing that they're not going to renew this for season two. So what should we expect for season two? Like, I think you, Lizzie, you mentioned, you know, we have five of the six crows together on the same boat. Like everybody's on the same boat right now, which is like, right. okay, great. I know you're going to split off, but also you're on the same but, boat together. So but are, are you, they? But are they? Yeah. The thing that would make sense would be for season two, which I'm pretty sure we're all sure they're going to get like, it doesn't matter how long they take to announce it, which I presume they're going to do within the month because they just want to do like they did. With, yeah. Oh, yeah. But they, I'm pretty sure also, like, don't quote me on it, but I think we're probably going to get season two and three at least mm-hmm. um, I, I at concur. the same time. So, 
but yeah, I the thing that would make the most sense to me would be okay. So season two, I do Six of Crows and book two of Chairman Bone. But the characters work so well together that at this point, how do you do like two completely separate storylines? So That's what I stresses me out though. But like I yeah, I think we are like from what Lee Bardugo has said, they are going to go more of books than fans that are like really into the books are probably going to be comfortable with and then I, hope I, they do. <laughs> I honestly I have only two modes in life book purists don't touch my books or I don't care you did it well I'll take it yeah. I'm in I'm in mood two with this one uh they did season one so well I'm not gonna like I just want them to keep like the heart of the characters and I feel they did so I think it would make more sense for Mal and Alina to sort of step into Ketterdam and sort of like they're the ones on the run so mm-hmm. a little bit library yeah I mean she she mentioned it before so and she and Inej have to be BFFs and all of that um oh yeah um, like them at the very end of the season like when she gives her the knife like the two of them together I was like oh my gosh besties yeah but- yeah, that's the thing with fantasy. Like, I enjoy, like, separate storylines, but it's so much more fascinating when they, like, interweave and they're interacting, like, other storylines collide together and go from there. And since they all met in season one and they were all hanging out, I selfishly want more of that. Like, why can't Alina and Mal hang out with the crows for a little bit before going off to find whatever she needs to be the ultimate sun summoner to bring down the fold or whatever, you know? I mean, I, I really think that would be the smart play. I just don't know unless they do the entirety of the heist in six of crows in like half the season, which I, I mean, they could do, but I don't, I, I would really, I don't think there's a way to get out of the heist for what the heist sets up for all of the books going forward. Oh, but you have an idea. I, I see someone has an idea here. Okay, though. But, like, I feel like Darkling and Kaz need to go up against each other again. That's probably likely going to happen again. And so I don't want to say too much to not spoil. But what if, like, instead of the big bad being Van Eck, it's still Darkling, oh. obviously. But they set up Van Eck with the painting they did one. but mm-hmm. i'm just like what if they're paired together in some way because inej also struck the darkling right yeah like that goes. <laughs> yeah you're right you remember he was, her face right you you ben barnes has been uh, joking about that everywhere he's like my list has cats this girl who threw a knife at me he's been the joke Ooh, has been done so many people times people want kaz brecker to go feral yes <laughs> that'll do yeah. it yeah Yes, please. Like, that I, I can't wait for that showdown again. <laughs> because there is, you know, ways in which I mean, he, yeah, got, I think, he has to go get his girl. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they have to bring in Banek anyway because of the connection with... Well, so, they could, so, yeah, but they... Yeah. I, I keep wanting to say just, Ben Barnes. Darkling because, and Vanek could be paired together. We just solved it. If you need ideas, six of uh, you need ideas, Shadow and Bone writers call. Netflix, thanks for listening to this podcast. By the way, you should listen to all of our advice here if you need help figuring this out. Please and thank you. As long as they give me 
the one thing I want. I don't care how we get there. Is it the hand touch? Is that what you want? No, no, no. It's this one quote. Oh. Lizzie knows what I will crawl? Yes. Oh, that one. That one. As long as I get that, I don't care how I I get it. I actually want another one when she, I'm going to spoil the quote. I'm sorry if you don't go care. Go for it. Inej tells Cass, I will have you without Well, yeah, without obviously. Or, or I will have you not at all. And that's just. If she does also, not say that. That, but she also, that's just a testament to how much she constantly challenges him and that she doesn't <laughs> back down when he says something nice and sweet. She's just like, how, why, tell me. And so I definitely think we'll get that. But I want a version of her questioning whether he'll come back. And I want him to say that quote because it just kills me. But we also want him having to carry her when she's hurt before the season. Because he's the only person. But also, there's the scene in the train that I don't want to spoil for them because with him and that thing that happens to him. I love right. how they're just speaking in codes right now. I know. I love it. And, and the bathroom. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, wait. I read about this. I know about this. Yeah. So the bathroom, I feel like, is one of those things that they know if they don't do, they're yeah, going to have, like, fangirls with torches going after them. I've seen they, the fan art from that. They they can also put that, that bathroom scene anywhere. Like, doesn't yeah. have to be specific to things. But, like, I there, there's a scene very early on in Six of Crows where Cass is forced to carry Inej because she's hurt. And then that, considering his touch aversion and like he's fully clothed and everything, but like it's such a big thing. Yeah. And, and he's got 20 million quotes about how he didn't want to be close to anyone, but maybe he, he wanted to be close to her. And all of those things. Just stabbed me in the heart. I got chills. Uh, all of those things need to be explored in like a progression that I, I need. Like legitimately, like if they manage to do that progression I will look the other way sort of exactly the things that happen I know people are also really really looking forward to Desper's love story so I hope they give us that because you don't get like in in reality even though we're all here for Cass and Nesh in the books it's almost Desper and Wyland who are sort of the main okay. uh, ship getting like not the main ship because they have more time but it's like they're actually actually together. <laughs> Together. together yeah and they, they they are they are slow burn and then they actually get somewhere they um, can express themselves right they they don't have as many issues and i i would really like to see that yeah. if netflix is listening can we make sure that matthias actually gets to survive <laughs> that uh, I, mean, I do know about I that mean, and like come on i felt so bad because people were posting all about that like mm-hmm. the day that the show came out i was like y'all stop I, no book purist would be pissed about that. I don't think any book purist would be pissed about that. But I the love thing that, that sweet Nordic the, boy, I love him so much. But the Protect thing about that, whole cause, the thing that hurts me is that I really love the storyline that comes for Nina after. I love it. Like it is. I I don't even want to. I can't say we anything can find a way for her to have that storyline. Can we find a like because just find a way he can be like, like he can just seem like he's dead but not actually be dead <laughs> okay I like that and then you bring him back okay. and then you bring okay. him back okay okay I mean it's just I like what what she ends up doing and I even like the person she ends up with 
Yeah. Like I just I'm such, a, I'm such a fan of that trope. Like as soon as I realized it was like witch hunter and witch, I was like, oh, this is another one of my tropes. This is like my thing. I love when you have two characters that should literally despise each other, but then they're like, except for but you. that that also as soon as only they were worked, together. Sorry. Only works because of the of the actors. I they're feel. so good. Like it works in the books, but it doesn't work as well. Like it the works scene in the boat, was like oh. and the then in the, the show, boat, I was like is this is this a thing? Because like the the chemistry between those two. Oh, and like I have to go see if this is a thing. Because like it doesn't seem like a thing. I've never seen anybody talking about this. And then I look it up. I'm like, oh, so it is kind of a thing with a tragic story. And then like, like the whole scene and like the little hut and like body heat. I was just like, this is my like field day right here. As soon as they were in the boat together, honestly, their exchange back and forth. I'm like, oh, they're gonna hook up at some point. I don't really see how this goes any other way and then once they both survived and they were in the hut together I'm like oh yeah they're gonna fall in love I can't wait for this and then I found out after I finished watching oh he dies and I'm like so sad great can't wait for that heartache it was bad enough that he hates her at the end of the season and I'm like no he just wanted to eat his waffles he just wanted to have waffles Uh, I just I don't know it is one of those things where, I mean, if they go really, really off book, I mean, maybe you can keep him alive. But if you start, stay within the framework of the books, so much of what Nina does after and because of his death determines what happens in the last two books that I don't know how they go off book. But if you can keep him around, like, I don't think there will be many people complaining. Just make sure you bring in the character that comes after him in Nina's life somewhere. Look, interesting. I wasn't expecting anyone else. So I'm very intrigued now. Like, I almost want to spoil you all because it is so good and it is it is so diverse. Like, we all know that, that Nina is not straight. Yeah, right? I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they, there's a... I, just, I can't We can have you. a poly ship. Yeah, I mean, yeah. shows never do it. This would be the one. I'm what? always yeah, advocating for that. Like, go for that. Do it. No love triangles. You don't have to kill like, people off. Everyone could be happy together. I, there are so many love triangles that are really dumb and would be fixed like this. And I, we would all be so fixed. On. But I, I think love my, that the crows don't have any. I know. No love triangle. They work so well without one. I'm so glad there is not one. I could tolerate the Matthias death if we allow him to have more of a life before he dies because I feel like he's like free of that like mindset for such a brief period of time and that kills me I feel like they can I mean I'm forgetting the exact time period between no it's it's all kingdom Uh, no it's close close because of like they're stretching it out within like one or two years but they can't, well, not if they ended the way Six of Crows ends with that cliffhanger. Sorry, Six of Crows ends in a cliffhanger. Please buy both books at once if you want to read them. Don't buy just I, one. I was going to buy just Six of Crows, but then no. I saw there was a deal. I was like, ah, oh, I can do this. I can buy you, both books. You, so. made, you made the right choice because it ends yeah. in a really bad cliffhanger. Enough that I think I finished reading, you know, when you were like, I'm going to go to sleep and I'm going to finish a book. Mm-hmm. And then I, it was like, I don't know, 1130. I finished the book. 
I opened the next such book. Such a good cliffhanger. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to read till this happens. And the thing I was waiting for didn't happen till chapter like 15. So it was three in the morning. And I was like, okay, I'm going to sleep at some point. No. I know that was me. I literally was like, whoop, I'm not doing anything that I planned today. I'm not getting off my couch. I'm reading this and that's it. Nobody's talking to me. And I was losing my mind. It's a good cliffhanger though. It's, it's like a cliffhanger after my own heart because I'm just like, hurt comfort is coming. And that's just like my true north <laughs> is hurt comfort trope. Mal's true north is Alina, but your true north is hurt comfort. I just, I love good angst. What can I say? <laughs> angst, angst, angst. Y'all, thank you so much for coming on here today and just like fangirling with me and all of us just fangirling over this show and Kinej and what's to come and even like the book stuff. This is the stuff that is like life-giving. It makes me excited to be a fangirl and to get to share all of the fun of enjoying something. And I mean, as of, you know, this past year has been so hard with the pandemic and being apart from people. And I long for the day that we can safely all be together and to be able to do this in person, but it's just been really sweet to be able to do this today. So thank you guys. There are perks you. to Zoom. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, the perks of Zoom of being able to connect us from all over so that we can just sit and fangirl over fictional character wanting to touch another fictional character. It's great. Where can listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter at Maggie of the Town, and I am all over the place. So many podcasts. Uh, I have a new podcast that will be announced later this month that I'm really excited about. So keep an eye on my Twitter feed for that. Woo! You love a good tease. It, it, she's always, every time I look, she's in a different thing. It's like, how does she have time? But apparently I have just learned she doesn't. Maggie can- is nonstop. I can keep rolling out with Hamilton references for the end of time. So you can find me on Twitter too at Listy Dad. I am in a lot of places too, but mostly on Fangirlish because at least there I mostly get to decide what I do. So if you have to choose one place, uh, make it the place where I am the the person making the decision of what is what I'm publishing, not others where uh, you look at your article and you're like. That wasn't what I know. Okay. So yes, Twitter and fangirlish. You can also find me on Twitter at Kisana Sophia and then Marvelous Geeks. I like forgot for a second. I was like, wait, what is it? And then also Lady Geeks Pod for any of the Bridgerton slash romance stuff, which this should be a part of because it's peak romance. It is. And honestly, if you're thinking about it, I feel as though like if you need any more motivation, you should totally talk about Shadow and Bone on and make it like Lady Geeks. I know Jen and I are both so deep in this dumpster that it's it's unholy. Maybe if we can actually be normal people and get out for a sec, maybe. <laughs> but why be normal? That's so that's so boring. You can just stay. The people in we it. ship are not normal. So exactly. Like, so 2019. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and 
And as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Meredith Loftus. And don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Fangirl Forum Pod. Thank you so much for joining. I hope you have a fantastic day. See you next time.